0: This is Compost Heap, a podcast where we gather as much knowledge about off-grid alternative communities as we can and mix them together with our uninformed commentary to make a loamy idea compost uh, to create new communities and to foster our own community. I- I'm I'm one of many worms settling around in this compost. My name is
1: uh, Rhodes. Hey, I'm, I'm Shosh. I'm also... A worm. Cool.
0: The episodes of this podcast are all going to be about different topics pertaining to building and maintaining eco villages. This first episode is, is going to be uh, trying to provide a context for the whole overarching existence of the movement of creating small communities away from the more structured society. We're going to be using a bunch of different words to refer to these sorts of communities. But I think chiefly we're settling on eco-village. So what is an eco-village? Is that when you is that when you yell into a village and you can hear yourself? Is that when there's a bunch of people who know a lot about stocks living together in the same place? I'm just hearing the word village and economy So shit. Is that when um you run your laundry on low? Okay, okay. <laughs> So what is an eco-village exactly?
1: Yeah, it's like, so you get a bunch of people together and they live in like a little village and they're trying to make a positive impact on the world and the, where they live and culturally, ecologically, you know. hmm The reason we
0: uh, decided to make a podcast about eco-villages and everything that constitutes life inside of them is because we, the two of us actively want to create and build a community like that and actively want to learn as much as we possibly can about it.
1: And what, what a better way to learn than to teach people
0: <laughs> and to listen to people who have a without, lot of knowledge about them.
1: without knowing anything at all, <laughs> without knowing anything at all.
0: And, uh, you know, That was a pressing reason for us, is just the whole reason behind our lives.
1: Well, and as as we kind of got into the project, we realized there was another deeper reason. There
0: were health concerns as well for us, because um, as to white men who are, you know, approaching our later 20s, it does seem to be that... Um, we were talking to our doctors and other medical professionals and it does seem like if we don't make a podcast maybe all of our bones will turn into dust and we'll um, accidentally have multiple children and fathering will be the only future of our lives Gotta get that vitamin P mm, Vitamin P Uh, no Well you didn't at the
1: time seem like you needed to talk mm, about no. it so maybe we don't need to <laughs> now either. just
2: vitamin P mm, mm. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I feel like there's, yeah, there's absolutely, there's two sort of lanes for white men in their late 20s: Fatherhood Forever or podcasting. And I don't know if I'm ready for the responsibility like, of doing anything other than talking into a microphone. I just know which one is cheaper. <laughs> I know which one costs less. I know which one's going to cause less trauma. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of different ways to live a more sustainable life than we currently do in our very comfortable houses. I think there's a lot of forms of sustainability that like, we automatically are thinking about when we're hearing about sustainability. Things that are directly involved with our impact on the environment and ecosystems when there's other sorts of sustainability that we don't think about, like social sustainability of the relationships around us and these sorts of things. And I think all of that is... Directly boosted by the lifestyle in an eco-village in almost every sort of way.
1: I think that one of the ways social sustainability can look like is, is working on communication as a community and being able to work through problems that come up from living in close quarters with a bunch of people, being able to resolve conflicts and being able to keep everyone happy with everyone else.
0: Yeah, and, and and like genuinely loving all of your neighbors and everyone who's part of your community.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that that absolutely helps with making your community resilient. Yeah, I mean,
0: it's like if you have a neighbor who's doing something really annoying in our current system, you might just be kind of passive aggressive because you feel like you can't really communicate it or like you it's not important enough or you don't have enough of a relationship with that person. But if or you, you live in an eco village cops. with people you care, you might just call the cops on them. Just no. call the cops on people when they're annoying to you. Good call, guys. Um, <laughs> but in, in in like an eco village situation where you love everybody around you, it's like more like, oh, this thing's annoying me. Like, let me bring it up to that person and work through this conflict. Maybe with the help of a conflict resolution person who lives there too.
1: Yeah, I think that that's not easy for everyone to do, but I think. That's what that means. Is like as an eco-vote. The eco-vote brings that. The eco-vote creates the space for people to do
0: that. Yeah, and creates a culture of loving communication that allows people to solve all those problems together. I think that sustainability is thought about as a lot of patch fixes, just because of the way that it has been applied to politics and building and lifestyle in ways that actually it's about a total overhaul you know it's about
2: mm,
1: yeah
0: do i need to use the amount of energy that i use in my day-to-day life to charge all my things and use all these electronic things all the time and heat my house or maybe is it better to knock the whole damn house down and build a house that uses the sun and uses the thickness of the walls to create a comfortable environment rather than pumping air that you cool with an electronic system fueled by fossil fuels
1: yeah or even more sustainable sources of energy there's certain things that we can just do better and not have to use that energy for that goal
0: one uh yeah i think one of the one of the biggest problems with the movement of environmentalism and particularly like liberal environmentalism is that it doesn't take into account the fact that whether or not we switch to fully sustainable sources of energy, the way that we use energy is inherently unsustainable.
1: Another thing to think about with Eagle villages is, is that in a suburb, everyone is doing things individually. Everyone has their own car, their own lawnmower, their own washing machine. And there's like 30 of them versus for a community where we're sharing our resources, you might only need to have a couple of those things. So literally takes less resources to create the, the tools that we need to live and also takes less resources because we don't have thirty kitchens running at the same time. We have one big kitchen.
0: Yeah. If you know if you've ever cooked for fifteen people with the help of four people rather than just cooking for yourself and another
1: person, it is so much more chill. It's yeah, it's honestly it's easier and it's more fun because you have people to cook with, and you have to cook less too, which is nice. Yeah, yeah. Because however much of the time other people are cooking for you, so you have your cooking mm-hmm.
0: shift. You never have no to worries. clean up after yourself. Someone else is coming in and
1: cleaning up because you did the. Yeah, cooking. You, you never have to clean ever. Yeah,
0: eco-villagers. <laughs> you don't have to
1: clean. You just never clean. You just don't clean anything. It's awesome. Yeah. Well you just burn the you just burn all the trash and that's where you get just the energy. Burn to power the trash
2: the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: For you, what do you think of when you think of someone who lives in an eco village?
0: Well, let's close our eyes together. Let's go into a mind palace here, right? I'm closing my eyes. You're saying eco-village, mm-hmm. right? And I'm
1: closed and I've eyes. I've just
0: man. learned. I've just learned what that meant. So yeah, I'm I'm like imagining a You know, I'm imagining like a a a man with long hair tied up in a bun, softly playing a djembe. Absolutely, I hear you. I'm imagining like a like a man sitting on a cajon playing a djembe.
1: I'm picturing like a few. People with long flowing clothing and long flowing hair dancing ecstatically to the sound of djembes.
0: With my eyes closed, I'm I'm hearing the soft playing of a djembe in the distance, and just talking about just chilling out and talking about chakras.
1: I'm picturing uh, a tall, skinny guy who takes a break from playing his djembe to tell you that diseases don't exist if you don't believe in them
0: i have to guess that they have their root chakra aligned with their fucking djembe. <laughs> <laughs> totally brother i'm imagining like uh a man playing the djembe while talking about how you shouldn't get vaccines because you never really know what's in them after taking a big line of, of ketamine
1: i'm imagining uh a guy who. I got lice from after I attended his workshop on how to make it to <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm imagining um, white guy with dreadlocks, the person. <laughs> so uh, uh, a white hippie. Yes. I'm seeing a white, I'm seeing a white hippie surrounded by, let me close my eyes and zoom out other white hippies. And I think a lot of people imagine a hippie when they hear about this sort of community. And I think that perception of hippies being the only people who do that is something we're going to actively try to push back against in this podcast, because not only are the two of us not hippies and maybe actively don't want to live around them that much, but also the reality is a lot of the knowledge and uh, techniques that people started these sorts of communities with and the movement started with really come from a lot of indigenous cultures from all around the world who had a lot more harmonious connection to the land than we do
1: yeah i mean certainly something started in the 60s and 70s with the hippies and their cultural revolution but there's been people who've been living this way the whole time just not necessarily in the same cultural spotlight
0: yeah i think there were a lot of cultures all around the world before that movement though and before the hippies that had a lot different of a relationship to the land than the cultures that controlled the world at that point.
1: What kind of a relationship would, would that be? Then? So it wasn't like so it wasn't like you just you you bought land and then you owned it. And then right. Like there
0: were a lot of there were a lot of cultures that saw the land as a resource that that they had to live in harmony with,
1: mm. rather than something to just kind of take what you can get and then get out.
0: An understanding, a deeper understanding than that with the land that things that you take from the land have to be rebirthed and regrown and having a purely exploitative relationship with the land and owning it and taking whatever you want from it is not beneficial to anybody who lives on it. I know hearing about indigenous cultures from two white dudes might not be the most palatable thing. So uh, we are certainly going to bring, indigenous voices that have actual indigenous knowledge, not just people who have read things on Wikipedia.
1: So, what did start in the hippie decades, the 60s and the 70s?
0: Something commonly labeled as the Back to the Land movement, where a lot of young people were motivated by a cultural revolution to rethink their lot in life and their roles in society and try to create something that they saw as more positive. That's really what the Back to the Land movement was that happened
1: uh, with the hippies. That sounds sounds sick, how they do. Oh,
0: well, well... uh, they mostly have totally petered out and or were kind of ruled by little, uh, as uh, uh, como se say, se, uh, sexual warlords.
1: Hmm. That sounds bad. Kind of the opposite it was. of what they wanted. It was. Yeah. It's like kind of ironic.
0: Traditionally putting the power in the hands of one man will lead to authoritarianism in that person's Right. Image. Absolutely.
1: I mean, yeah, it's it's just so easy, and that kind of power is so seductive. It really needs to be decentralized. And we'll we'll talk more about like, like egalitarianism later.
0: Decentralized and structured. In yeah, a Weird absolutely. dichotomy.
1: Yeah. We we talk a lot of shit about hippies
0: because they deserve
1: it. They deserve it. I have friends who are hippies.
0: I love some hippies. And I think, you know, we are going to explain further why we have a little vitriol towards hippies. And, um, but also, you know, what was awesome about the movement of hippies originally in the 60s and what was also flawed about it and what, what of those flaws continued forward in that subculture, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I would not be who I am today. If it weren't for hippies. So that's something for sure.
0: I wouldn't listen, man, if, if it weren't for hippies, I wouldn't have been so excited about smoking weed in high school.
1: If it weren't for hippies, I would never have had like tapestries in my room at any point,
0: man. If it wasn't for hippies, like I, I wouldn't have, um, when I didn't know who I was known how to dress when I started smoking weed in high school. (laughs) the kind of broad failure of the back to land movement is often used by people opposing eco villages, um, to say, Oh man, these, these are always going to fail because they're not tied enough into our economic system to, uh, be viable. Like you, you gotta, you gotta encourage people to work in the right way or whatever. Um, for many people though, Escape of their terrible, unfulfilling work surf sort of life under the our society is really the only reason that they want to live in intentional communities in the first place. And while the reason for or, or some communities failure m- might have been poor financial or social planning, there were many reasons that the back to the land movement
1: failed. I do want to say that you know, there are a lot of interesting examples of communities that didn't fail, especially in Europe, but also in the US. And we'll talk about those later.
0: Stay tuned.
1: <laughs> yeah. So now we come to like what's happening right now, which is that there's a, a couple of different impending disasters in our society. There's a climate disaster, and there's also mm-hmm. uh, more or less a financial one where, very few people in our generation can afford to own a house or have a comfortable lifestyle. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think
0: that there's multiple ways that not only society, but also, you know, outside of society, our environment are actively collapsing in front of our eyes and causing a lot of people to seek alternatives. You know, no one can own a house. No one can, really work a job that they feel like they can support a family with. And people are starting to see how unsustainable the way that we live in our society is. And these factors sort of combine into really wanting to seek an alternative and maybe a more robust and actively thought out alternative to what the hippies did. Right. Naturally, that kind of comes to buying land with your friends and then trying to create an ecologically sustainable lifestyle in an eco-village, right?
1: Yeah, and hopefully society as a whole catches on because we're fucked if they don't. But at the very least, people can just on their own start living this way. And the more accessible we can make it, the better. And that's what we're trying to do with this podcast is connect people to each other and connect the information that isn't really as easily accessible as I wish it was and make it easier to learn about living this way. There's just so much fucking financial hurdle to creating one of these communities. We were just talking about how people our age can't own land. We're gonna du- we're gonna jump into all of that shit. Like how how can we get that shit? How can we get the land? Get it, get that land. How can Go, we do that, it? Get that cash. Where can money. the money come from?
0: <laughs> we're gonna learn together and we're gonna teach together, each other. Like a bunch of worms. As well as talking to people with the sort of wisdom that helps build communities and people that literally live on these sorts of communities.
1: There's a lot there. I mean, you're you're basically trying to create a subculture, create a miniature society and it takes all types and it takes people who are engineer minded. It takes people who are farmers. It takes people who are therapists, people who are teachers.
0: Yeah. And and our next couple of episodes are going to be about why people are feeling like they really need to escape society and some more detail into that. Um, And, and like what sort of the, Collective dream amongst young people to do this is looks like.
1: If you're listening to this and you think it sounds cool and you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at compostheapodcast at gmail.com. You can email us questions or ideas. If you live in one of these communities already, please reach out to us and we can talk to you and ask you. We have a ton of questions. Basically, if you know about a cool community or you have a friend who lives in one or you are a rich, rich, rich person who wants to invest in making communities, you know, any of that shit, compostheatpodcast at gmail.com. Or if you want to donate to the project directly, you can go to anchor.fm slash compostheatpodcast. And I think we have like a Patreon style.
0: That would probably be great.
1: Yeah, that would be great.